This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c Let's say you've never had an M&M before and I come to you and I say, hey, Dr. Muda, would you like an M&M? And you're like, okay, sure. And you eat it and you say, oh, wow, this is delicious. Um, and I say, oh, great, yeah. And maybe we talk about how it's delicious and maybe don't, but then that's over and then we talk about something else. Um, but then maybe I come to you and I say, oh my gosh, I had this amazing, incredible thing today. And because you've done such a great job with all of your work. I just really want to bring you this special thing. And here it is on a plate. Your mind is going to be absolutely blown by this thing. It's M&Ms. Like, and I'm just hyping it up. I am hyping it up and, and I can tie it into that. I can say, you know what? You've had such a long week and you've been working so hard. Here are these M&Ms for you. And all of a sudden I have taken an enjoyable experience and I've turned it into something else totally different. Now I've brought in your emotional state and I've brought in whether you deserve something, and I have just made a really big deal out of those M&Ms. Welcome to the show. I am Dr. Mona, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. Your reviews and the way you share this podcast is how the show continues to grow. And we are a top 50 parenting podcast in 2024 in the United States. And we continue to grow because of all of the love you all pour into the show. I get to talk to the most amazing people in the field of child development, health, feeding, parenting. And today's guest is someone I've always admired on social media. Her name is Jennifer Anderson. She is a registered dietitian founder of Kids Eat in Color, which helps families feed their children and provide mental health support to families through a child's feeding journey. And she's also a mother of two boys. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I have been following you for a while, and then we finally met in D.C. for the AAP conference last year in 2023, and it was so nice to see you outside of a screen for the first time. Um, and we are going to be talking today about why we shouldn't put sweets and treats, and I'm putting that in quotes, on a pedestal. And yeah. this is something that a lot of us have grown up with. But before we get started, tell us more about yourself and also maybe why you founded Kids Eating Color. Sure. So when I stood in the pediatrician's office when my son was nine months old and the pediatrician said, you know, he's not gaining weight. That was the moment that I thought, wow, I'm a dietitian. Doesn't he know that? My son, you know, my nine month old son. Of course, no, <laughs> kids don't care what your job is. Um, yeah. But that was a moment where I knew and I started to learn feeding kids is tricky. And that was really when kids eat color started. Although I didn't know it at the time. So yeah. when my son was three, he was struggling to stay on the growth chart. I was making these tiny, cute little lunches 
that's when I started Kids in Color as an Instagram account, as a hobby, trying to find other parents, help other parents in that situation. And you know what I learned? I learned that I was not alone. I was not alone. And Kids in Color now helps millions of families feed their children. And I think at the core of everything that we do, every thing that we put out, every way that we help families is really the reminder that, hey, you're not alone. If you're struggling, you're not alone. There's other people who are there with you and we're here to help in whatever way that you need. Love it. And of course, you've created a community of over a million followers that feel that same way and obviously feel supported and safe. And I love the advocacy work you've done. I mean, I know you've talked about like food insecurity and shame in regards to feeding kids and how every parenting journey and feeding journey may look a little bit different and Mm -hmm. kind of busting misinformation around food as well, which is such a holistic approach to feeding. And I think I, you know, as a pediatrician who's worked with varied socioeconomic families, it is nice to see that perspective on social media because I think sometimes a lot of accounts, um, not yours, but a lot of accounts forget that there are just different resources available to families, you know, in terms of just what we are feeding our kids and why someone may choose this sort of meal and how do we incorporate it with health and nutrition. So Mm -hmm. thank you for providing that space um, online. Absolutely. My first job out of college was working at a food bank coordinating Mm. nutrition programs. And that was one of the reasons I chose to go back to school um, to learn more about nutrition and public health. And uh, there's not one day that goes by that I don't think about the fact that there's lots of kids who don't have enough food, that they don't Mm -hmm. have access to fruits and vegetables. So if we don't keep that in mind, we can really lose our perspective. And it doesn't help us if we're being judgmental to people. And uh, just like we don't want to be judged, nobody else wants to be judged either. So I think we have to remind ourselves of that. Yeah. And the conversation we're having today is about sweets and treats, you know, um, basically the yummy things in our life that I think we should all have access to because why not? It brings us so much joy. I mean, I love cupcakes. I want my son to love cupcakes because they are delicious. And the thing is though, obviously we're trying to balance sweet and treats and all the things that are yummy in our life with obviously nutrition as well. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't eat sweet treats all day, every day, but Mm -hmm. how do we balance this? And one of the things that we're talking about on this episode is putting sweets and treats on a pedestal. So if you can describe to maybe someone who's listening, what does that mean? And how do we do that either intentionally or unintentionally? Sure. So let's say you've never had an M&M before. And I come to you and I say, Hey, Dr. Muna, would you like an M&M? And you're like, okay, sure. And you eat it and you say, Oh, wow, this is delicious. Um, And I say, Oh, great. Yeah. And maybe we talk about how it's delicious and maybe don't, but then that's over. And then we talk about something else. Um, but then maybe I come to you and I say, oh my gosh, I had this amazing, incredible thing today. And because you've done such a great job with all of your work, I just really want to bring you this special thing. And here it is on a plate. Your mind is going to be absolutely blown by this thing. It's M&Ms. Like, and I'm just hyping it up. I am hyping yeah. it up and, and I can tie it into that. I can say, you know what? You've had such a long week and you've been working so hard. Here are these M&Ms for you. And all of a sudden I have taken an enjoyable experience and I've turned it into something else totally different. Now I've brought in your emotional state and I've brought in whether you deserve something. And I have just made a really big deal out of those M&Ms. And sometimes as parents, we unknowingly do that with M&Ms or treats or absolutely anything. M&Ms is the first one that came to mind, but it can yeah. be absolutely anything. And what we're doing is we're bringing more attention to these things 
than they need to have. Like, yeah, I love my potato chips. I mean, everybody knows, the world knows that I'm like a potato chip person. Yeah, I love my salads and I love them with potato chips. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. (laughs) So, you know, I think sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking foods are either good or bad. Mm -hmm. It's this black and white thing. They're good or bad. And we've heard because of this wider diet culture around us, this uh, culture that's obsessed with thinness and getting thin Mm -hmm. and staying thin and all this stuff. Because of that, we've decided that certain foods have a lot of calories are bad and certain foods that have a lot of calories are good. And so we, we've developed this really um, unfortunate perspective of food where it's either good or bad. It's going to help us stay thin or not. And that just, just trickled all the way down to how we interact with these foods with our children. And adding to that, we know the kids love them and they're willing to do things for them. And then we're like, Ooh, maybe I'll use them as a reward too. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can get them to eat their broccoli if I bribe them with a lollipop. And what we don't realize when we're doing that along with making it a big deal is that we're saying, Hey, guess what? Broccoli is bad. Lollipops are good. Sitting in the car is bad. Well, we all know that and that's true, but like, and, <laughs> and lollipops are good. And so not only are we making a big deal out of it, but we're also saying, Hey, these things are better. While at the same time, we and preschool teachers and everybody is saying, Oh, by the way, lollipops are bad for you. <laughs> so we're kind of giving these kids this like really complicated life perspective of lollipops and candy and treats and like all this stuff because kids are hearing as young as two, three years old, these treats are bad. Right. Like there is a classic um, kind of preschool activity sheet out there. It's like circle the healthy foods, circle the Mm -hmm. unhealthy foods and the candy is Mm -hmm. unhealthy. Um, So we're telling them that at the same time, we're using the candy as bribes, telling the kids also that they're, it's good, which makes them like broccoli less. Yeah. And then we're also saying, oh, hey, this is a really amazing thing. <laughs> we're making a really big deal out of it. So we basically, it's complicated. It's complicated for us. And then we're also just kind of passing that on to the kids. And in the end, what happens is kids really want candy. They want mm-hmm. candy maybe even more than they would have. And they're less likely to want the broccoli or, you know, whatever those foods are. But Jennifer, when I bribe my kid with a M&M, he eats his broccoli and he eats it with me forcing it into his mouth. So it's working. But we it know. Is. It yes, is. We know so, that it's not. Yes. I like to. I, I like to. I'm, yeah. That's that's what I always hear. Right. Like I'm like, no, right. it's it's yeah. that short term. Like I got it. Yeah. I got it. Like yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the secret. The bribing is working. But well, I know you probably have something to add right. to that. Yeah. Well, here's how I like to put it. I like yeah. to put it like, yes. This is a short-term solution. And we can put a hard stop there. We can say, yes, this is a short-term solution. The thing is, after that short-term solution, we know that when you're bribing a child to do something, it can decrease their intrinsic motivation. What is that? Basically means their own desire to do something. Right. So we say, well, yeah, if you're bribing your child to eat broccoli, yes, this could be a short-term solution, which if we kind of go down that path, Let's say you have a child who's in a some sort of medical situation and you really need them to eat X, Y, or Z. And it's really important for their health right now. You know what might be a good solution for you? Bribing your child with M&Ms. <laughs> now, does that come without risk? No, 
it's got a lot of risks that it could possibly come with. But I think this is the kind of nuance that we need to begin to hold on to. Yeah, that might be a short-term solution, but also what could happen? Your child could stop liking broccoli altogether. And then when you yeah. take the M&Ms away, nah, they're not going to eat it at all. Or they're much less likely to eat all vegetables. Or, or they're just fine. There's always that possibility, right? Because we're working with risks. Just because we bribe a kid, does it mean X, Y, Z? Well, we don't know what's going to happen for real that we might know, well, yeah, your child could become really obsessed with candy and they might binge on candy and they may hide in the closet and eat candy. And that might've kind of tipped the balance for them into being more interested in candy than they would have been had they not had that bribery happen. At the same time, like I said, there might be those times where you're like, you know what? I have to get my child to eat this medication. They must, they must for their health have this medication. In that case, guess what? You are weighing the risks and the rewards for what Mm -hmm. the pros and the cons of what is going to happen to your child. And as parents, I feel like that's what's tricky for us is to acknowledge, yeah, there could be a risk. You know, I might just be giving them the M&M to get them deep broccoli. And it's not that important. And therefore I might have to deal with the risks later. And now I have a kid who really doesn't like broccoli and I've created more work for myself. Or there might be times where I'm like, yeah, I know there's risks, but that's okay. I will deal with those. And right now I need to do this thing. So I think it's tricky and there is a lot of nuance here. And so I always like to think if a parent is bribing their kids with candy right now, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent and it doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. But it is a good opportunity to say, okay, why am I doing it? And is there something else I could do differently that might actually get me to the goal that I want a little bit better than using candy as a bribe? As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom 
chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Yeah. And in terms of like, oh, I mean, this is, this is something that's been passed down from like generations too. I mean, I remember as a child, um, and it's, it's something that I still have put that on the pedestal where it's like, okay, if you finish this, I'll go, we'll go get ice cream. You know, Mm -hmm. like I remember my aunt would come over and she would be like, if you finish your food and it would, and so you're doing two things, you're bribing them, but you're also not allowing that child to listen to their hunger cues at the meal. Right. Right. So it's twofold. Like you're forcing them (laughs) to finish their plate, which is a whole different conversation, which we already, you know, I'm very passionate about too, but then you're also saying, okay, finish the plate because you're going to overstuff yourself and not listen to your hunger cues. Because when you finish that, we'll go get ice cream. And I mean, Oh my gosh. Like, of course, I don't know a lot of people who don't love ice cream if, as long as they're not, oh, not lactose yeah, intolerant. Not. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I'd be like, okay, let me scarf down this food that I'm not, even if I like it, I'm not hungry. And I'm like, right. so, not, I'm, so now, not only am I not listening to my cues, I'm looking at the sweet treat as a reward. So we're doing that. You know, you talked about making a big deal. You talked about, okay, yeah, if you eat this, you can have this. Um, and so then it becomes this whole psychological thing. And like the other thing, you know, I was talking to my husband about is the emotional connection we create with sweets. Like in our culture, like when you're sad or upset, it's like, okay, eat this cookie, like mm-hmm. eat this thing. And not to say that we can't have cookies when we're sad. I'm not saying that we can't eat stuff because it's, right. it makes us happy. Right. But there is this sort of re- like uh, raising that happened when we were growing up of like, hey, yeah. oh, you're so sad. Okay, have this cookie or have this thing. And there's a very specific Indian cookie that is called Parle G that was very common. It's called a glucose biscuit because it has so much sugar. Um, <laughs> and it's like your comfort food. And right. again, comfort. I- I'm not against comfort foods. I think it's mm-hmm. wonderful. But then yeah. we're creating this association, like you said at the beginning, that, yeah. oh, I need need, I need this to feel better about my day. Right. I, I deserve right. this. I deserve, because I did X, Y, and Z throughout my day, I deserve to sit down and have a whole thing of cookies, a whole tray of Girl Scout cookies when we're not learning moderation. And that's scary. Right. Yeah. yeah. I failed my first driver's test when I was 16 and I was devastated. And my mom was like, oh, let's go out for ice cream. And she got, I don't know, there's an ice cream shop that me, I don't know, it was like, in my memory, it was probably eight inches of like soft serve ice cream. And, oh, wow. and it was like the expectation at that time with whoever was at, it was like, because you're sad, you're going to eat the whole ice cream cone. Mm. And I did. And I just remember feeling so sick, <laughs> thinking <laughs> like, do, am I really feeling better? Um, and yeah. I think back on that, uh, like you said, the ability of food to help us feel better can be a gift at times. Mm-hmm. At the same time, personally, I find that not being able to address my emotions and not being able to address the fact that I failed my driver's test and that really ice cream this was a solution for that. Guess what? Ice cream did not solve my problem Correct. of failing my driver's test. It would have been, and my mom has been great about this. This is just one situation, but I think it would have been just as helpful for her to be like, wow, I'm so sorry that you failed that. That's, you must be so upset. And I think 
in terms of me and my emotional development, that would have been a much more helpful skill because I've had to learn a lot of those skills later as an adult. Yeah. And I could have really have used those skills in my 20s when I didn't have them because ice cream and cookies weren't my solution. Um, oh, so absolutely. I'm like in all, like, give me all the solutions. Give me the cookies, but also give me the ability the to skills. talk. Yeah. Give me the ability to talk about my emotions. <laughs> well, I mean, it's co- like, it's like we think about coping skills, right? A healthy, yeah, yeah. a healthy coping skill is learning how to deal with hard times, whether it's with a person yeah. or yourself, yeah. whatever it is. Right. And then using, I, I mean, like I said, I love food. I love sweets. I love cookies, but that is something that we're trying to teach our, our Ryan's older. Obviously my, my daughter's not really eating cookies yet, but yeah. um, is that we're just having this. And I think, yeah. you know, I'm curious your thoughts about the labeling of this. So like one thing that I tell my husband to stop doing and he's guilty of it is stop calling them treats or yeah. surprises. Like, Oh, right. when, if you do this, you get a surprise. I'm like, cause then we're also putting it on a pedestal that, <laughs> Oh, you're, you're this cookie is a surprise. I'm like, just call them cookies. They're yeah. cookies and we're going to yeah. have cookies. And I don't know if, you, if the terminology and sure. stuff like that, do you feel like that matters too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think there's cultural kind of trends right now that every single word matters. And yeah. I like to take a little bit of that pressure off of parents. Like every single word that you say isn't going to make or break. That yeah. said, words are so important, right? So there's this <laughs> balance. And I recently was asked this in a Q&A on Instagram, you know, do, what do you think about the word treats? Frankly, I think so many people use the word treats and there's kind of meaningless. Like, you know, my mom said, Hey, we're going to have a treat that could be watching a movie or that could be like, um, you know, that could be potato chips or it could be who even knows what it's such a treat that you homemade this, you made this big, this bread for me. So Mm. I feel like this particular word is so dicey. Um, somebody asked me, and then I went to the conference where I saw you and there was literally a sign that said treats. And in there, there was like tea, cookies, gum. I mean, it was like a complete, it was like any food from all sorts of different groups you possibly could have asked for. (laughs) I was like, okay, treats literally can mean anything. Um, I think what you said though, was when you're talking about like a surprise, now you're like saying, you're adding like another element where you're like, oh, this food is like, it's like when you say this food is healthy or unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Now you're adding another element to the food, but what does it really mean? You're adding intrigue, you're adding judgment. Like when I think healthy, unhealthy, that is sometimes, sometimes, not always, adding an edge of judgment depending on how people are using it. Um, So I think we have to be careful. And like you said, we have this amazing vocabulary of food. Every food has its own word. (laughs) We can be so specific. We can talk about different kinds of cookies. We can talk about, you know, oh, I'm going to give you a chocolate chip cookie. I'm going to give you an academia nut white chocolate cranberry cookie, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think sometimes we underuse this incredible vocabulary that we have for foods. And you had mentioned earlier about the... um the obsession or maybe like this, oh, what we're talking about, right? The putting on the pedestal or maybe even restriction of these items, right? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that can lead to that sort of um, eating cookies in the closet like really fast, the obsession yeah. because it's become so taboo or why do you feel like that's yeah. kind of happening from a psychological perspective? Yeah, so I think there's several yeah. reasons. I think if you go on Instagram right now, you're gonna find people are like, if you just treat foods, quote, neutrally, and by neutrally, they mean you know, every single food is exactly the same and you would only ever use their name and things like that. Your child will have a quote, good relationship with food. And their definition of a good relationship with food is 
people are going to eat a wide variety of foods and they're going to eat till they're hungry and stop when they're full and like all these yeah. sorts of things. Um, and your child will certainly never end up in the closet eating cookies or grabbing things or sneaking them or like all these different scenarios. And I think in some ways, you know, if you treat foods, if you don't hype them up, you know, make an extra big deal out of them, kids are most likely going to have less of an interest than if you've hyped it up. Right? Yeah. What that perspective doesn't take into account is the fact that a lot of foods are actually engineered for us to eat more than our sense of fullness. Like so, chips and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> chips and things like yeah. that. So they're yeah. called hyperpalatable foods and companies have engineered them and made these recipes with a lot of testing of people to try to find out what will make people eat the most of them. That I have a problem with. Yeah. Like, again, I will eat cookies to feel better. I love a good potato chip when I'm having a bad day. It mm-hmm. definitely gives me a bump, even if I am learning to talk about my emotions, right? All these things. <laughs> but <laughs> the ability of a company to engineer foods mm-hmm. such that I am compelled to eat more than I would want to, to even feel better, that I don't like. And that I think is where as parents, we're stuck in a position where we want to help our kids have a level playing field with food. We want them to feel like every food is okay. There's no judgment. There's no judgment if you're going to have some potato chips because you feel bad. There's no judgment for loving potato chips in the first place. But also, I don't want somebody else telling your brain Mm. to override what you would actually want. And I think as parents, we're kind of stuck in this position of needing to help children navigate this situation of food marketing. And part of that is how they've engineered the products and also a diet culture that same foods are good or bad and you're bad if you eat too much and you're good if you don't eat too much, (laughs) right? And sometimes I, I think as parents, we get stuck and we just say, okay, let me just pick something and that something is gonna be, there's no such thing as bad food, which I actually agree with, right? And therefore I'm not gonna get involved. My kid's gonna be allowed to eat whatever and whenever and however they want. And they're never gonna end up hiding in the closet and all that. And then all of a sudden a parent realizes their kid is Mm -hmm. hiding in the closet eating or they are seeking foods or they are quote binge eating these foods. And then they think, oh my gosh, I failed my child. What did I do wrong? And one thing that is left out of kind of the nuance that's left out of so many conversations is many children just interact with sweets differently. Many people do, right? There's a sweet tooth. There's children who are neurodivergent. All these things are going to affect how a child interacts with sweets and treats or junk food or, you know, whatever you want to call these things. And so you may have done, quote, all the right things and given your child an amazing experience with food so that they can have a best relationship with food. And your child may still be totally obsessed with sweets. And that has everything to do with how their brain is structured mm-hmm. and nothing to do with what you actually did at home. And so there's a wide range of experiences with these foods that we have to kind of feel out and navigate and experiment with. Because there's no study that says this is the one way to do it right when it comes to treats with your kid. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. 
Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. And I think that's what we had talked about before when we were deciding on what to talk about on the episode is how knowing, I agree with you, knowing what we know about the way certain foods, especially engineered um, by manufacturers, work in our body and that they are designed to kind of want you to eat a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll buy more and all that. How can we balance all of those things that say, okay, we don't want diet culture. We <laughs> want to protect your health, but we yeah. want you to enjoy sweets and salty treats too. I'm going to be honest. I love chips so much. Oh, I like want a bag right now. <laughs> um, but, but like, how, how do we do that? Like, how can we essentially mm-hmm. move them from the pedestal? And I know we've spoken about like, you know, putting them with other healthy foods or I shouldn't use that word, but with other um, more preferred foods for that meal. But how can we remove them from that pedestal and kind of teach them that, maybe we listen to our stomachs more and how we're feeling with the food, like what you did with the ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, right. I think it's tricky. So when I think about little kids, I always remember, I always start with the fact they are not responsible for making any sort of like cognitive decision about what they're eating. I'm the parent, you know, especially with these younger elementary and below kids, we're the parent, we're making the decisions on what's in our house, what's available to them. And in our house, we do make hyperpalatable foods available. That's part of what we eat. In other families, that is just not part of their culture, their preferences, their ethics, whatever it is. That's okay. I think every family is going to have to make their decisions about what they're willing to have in their home. But in our house, I like to give kids two experiences. One is the ability to eat their fill, however much they want. The other is to have experiences where there's limited amounts of foods. Um, we have blueberries. Sorry. It's not all you can eat. Those things were 18 bucks a pound. You know, everybody's getting their fair share and that's it. Um, so generally in our house, if we have dessert with a meal, which honestly with toddlers, I find to be such a powerful experience where consistently just a teeny bit of dessert, child-sized portion, nothing they can fill up on, on their plate with a meal. And that's it. Um, 
I have just found that to be so powerful in helping them have just a neutral relationship with desserts. Yeah. Um, in our house, if it's served at the meal, that's kind of it. And if it's served with a snack, they eat as much as they want. And yeah. those two experiences prepare them for the world because guess what? We go to the potluck or they go to a birthday party. They can only have one piece of cake. And I want them to be familiar with that experience and be prepared for that and to be able to follow the social experience, which is, hey, you get a piece of cake and that's it. And then you move on. Mm -hmm. um, and also to be at, at parties where they can have as much cake as they want and they can also eat what they want and move on. And so I think both of those experiences are really important for a child's relationship with food because to have a good relationship with food, you have to be able to listen to your body and you also have to be able to exist in different social situations, mm -hmm. right? There's two parts to that. And you also have to be able to just exist in the reality that no, you can't have everything you want every single time you eat. If you can, you have such incredible privilege, mm -hmm. you know, 99% of the children in the world can't eat as much as they want of every single food available all the time. So if yeah. your child can, that's amazing. But I would also just put forth the value of experiences where they can't eat everything they want. And that could be of any food, you know, sometimes we run out of chicken, sometimes we run out of bread, sometimes, you know, it's, you know, prunes. No, you can't eat however many you want. Like there's a limit on prunes always. Right. <laughs> we don't, we don't want too much pooping happening. Yeah. No, um, we don't. So, yeah. <laughs> and so, so is it a balance there? Like it's so in this situation, like you said, you put like a couple pieces of like, um, let's say it's a cookie or something, um, with the dinner in a way. I don't look at that as portion control and restriction because we're offering it with a meal. Right. Okay. Yeah, so right. I want, yeah, because like, for example, we, there's jingle jangle. It's like this cookie from Trader Joe's. So we got some yesterday from our neighbor and listen, it's delicious. Okay. It's like these pretzels mm. with chocolate on top and I love it. And I'm like, wow. And Ryan saw it because our neighbor gave it to him and was like, Hey, this is for you. And he's like, Oh mommy, can we have it? And I'm like, yeah, let's put a couple pieces with dinner. And then he yeah. ate his tacos, ate the two pieces and he ate it first. Right. He ate yeah. the chocolate chocolate first. Um, and then my husband and I differ on how we approach. He's like, no, we're going to give it after he's not going to eat his dinner. I'm like, trust me on this. He will eat his dinner. He were going to put it. And then maybe one day he won't eat his dinner, but he's not going to yeah. get more chocolate jingle jangle. Right. That's what it was. Like, yeah. here's our food. Here's right. our meal. Right. Um, and then maybe tomorrow we'll have more with a meal. Right. So, and I like that because then it becomes a point where when we went to a party on Thanksgiving, this is my, like my dream is that he listened and he had a couple cookies. And then when it was time for cake, he's like, no, mommy, I don't want the cake. I had too many cookies. I was like, Hey, look at you listening yeah. to your body. Like I was like, you can have cake if you want it, but you don't want it. And that's really cool. So, um, it's, it's nice to see that in action, you know, um, the creating of the levelness of these mm -hmm. foods. Um, the other aspect we're working on is having my husband get on the same page. So maybe he needs to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, the other reality is, and I like to let parents know is you might have a child who like does just fine in this, yeah. in some contexts, and they might eat way more than you ever would hope for at another thing. Yes. It doesn't necessarily mean they have a bad relationship with food. Yep. It just means maybe that they have less impulse control. Maybe they have less interoception, meaning they can't listen to their hunger and fullness cues as much. Maybe it means that they are just more motivated by that sweet flavor. There's a lot of things that will cause a child to also eat way more than you hoped. It doesn't mean that you haven't 
created a level playing field in your home because biochemically, for some people, there's no such thing as a level playing field. And that is something that you don't have control over. Like if there's a kid with ADHD, their brain structure is such that, guess what? It doesn't matter how much of a level playing field psychologically you provide, there will never be a level playing field biochemically. So in that case, you want to level the playing field psychologically as much as you want. And then you might have to provide more guide rails, more boundaries, less eating opportunities, whatever, to have that sort of situation where you're giving your child the ability to have a good relationship with food um, and also just acknowledging their reality that maybe, yeah, they would eat a whole meal of just jelly beans. Yeah. And they would actually love that. (laughs) And you're like, okay, well now and then, okay, but I'm not going to provide jelly beans every day because that's not what my child needs physically. Right. Um, So we do, I think we have to approach these things Um, And a lot of times, if you're kind of online and you're exploring these things, you might see very black and white answers like, oh, you can never do this. So you can always do this. You can never restrict. Well, guess what? It's not going to be a level playing field for every child's brain just based on that. And so sometimes as parents, we have to say, okay, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. But also, I'm going to put some restrictions like we're only going to have jelly beans once a week or... When we have them, we're only going to have a handful of jelly beans. You know, who knows what your arrangement is going to be, but different families are going to have to feel this out and see, you know, what's this looking like. And then I also just like to throw in, let's say you really want to try the dessert on the side of dinner thing. Mm -hmm. You are super into it. It is really working for you. And all of a sudden you are four weeks into this and it is just devastating your family for some reason guess what? You can end it. Yeah. <laughs> you, that's the beauty of life. You're yeah. the parent. You're the parent. Yeah. You can be like, guess what? You can this pivot. Yeah. feel right to mm-hmm. me. I don't like how this is affecting my child. Yeah. Same with restriction. Let's say you're restricting jelly beans to four per meal. Now all of a sudden your child is obsessed with jelly beans. Guess what? You can end that too. Mm-hmm. You could say, no, this is not working. My child is now obsessed with jelly beans and it's not worth the broccoli that they're eating. You can make that change at any time. And it doesn't mean you failed as a parent. It just means that you realize something isn't working. You want to try something new. So it's time to try a new strategy, whatever that is, to try to find that balance that you're looking for of your child having a good relationship with their body and a good relationship with food and, you know, their ability to kind of branch out and eat a wider variety of foods. Oh, I love that. It's like, that was actually a really good final message, which I was just going to ask you, like, um, what would be kind of this encompassing take home motivational message for everyone listening today? Yeah. I mean, try something. Yeah. <laughs> That's my big thing is like, yeah. yeah, if you're bribing your child with candy, maybe try not doing that. If you don't yeah. like how that's panning out your home. Um, I think we, as parents, we do have like a parent gut, right? A gut feeling of like, Ah, do I like what's happening? If you don't, it's okay to make a change and try something mm-hmm. new. Yeah, I love this. Oh, it's such a pleasure chatting with you. Again, I'm so glad that of all like my social media followers and the people I connect with, I'm so glad that I got to meet you in real life. That was super cool. And I hope to be able to meet more people that I follow. Um, where can people find you to stay connected? I'm sure many people already know who you are, but if they don't. Yeah. So we're at Kids Eat Color on Instagram. 
TikTok, Facebook, you know, all those fun places. Also, um, kidseatincolor.com. That's where to find us. Um, so if you've got a picky eater, if you are struggling with your child's relationship with food, we can help get you some of the tools so that you can try something. Wonderful. And I hope that you all listening got some tangible tips here to really help change the sort of narrative on how you're approaching sweets, treats, whatever you want to call it in your home and sort of normalizing the fact that we don't want good food, bad food labels. It is really important. I could talk to you forever about this and I'm sure I'll have you back on the show again for future episodes. Um, Thank you again for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And for everyone listening, make sure you follow Jennifer and her team at Kids Eat in Color. They provide amazing information as to um, all the things you just mentioned. And if you love this episode, make sure you leave a review, share it on your social media channels, tag Pete's Doc Talk and Kids Eat in Color. Share the love so that more people can discover this conversation as well as the show. And I cannot wait to chat next time. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.